Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, Tyler has fun and This thing to work. Yep. We're live. You gotta pull the mic to you, dude. <laughs> Sorry, this is my first time doing it. <laughs> Be a podcaster. All right, we got uh, we got Colin Johns here. We were just talking about which podcasts he wouldn't go on. <laughs> I mean, it's it's probably a pretty short list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty open to going on podcasts. Yeah, um, he's even going to go on Greg Dow's podcast, which didn't even know Greg Dow had a podcast. Well, he asked me this past week, and I mean, I like Greg. Greg's a goat. Would you ever start your own podcast? I don't feel the need to really start my own podcast. Not a big interest of mine. I have other things that I'd be more interested in pursuing. Got it. Like what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what? Well, you and I are uh, co-founders in a business, uh, my pickleball coach slash my pickleball journey. So we're excited to go on the meeting later and uh, discuss all the important things that are happening. Yeah. So when did you get involved with uh, with my pickleball coach? Like. That's a good question. Actually, it was last year that Martina Cookley called me and she told me what was going on. She uh, had this opportunity with a golf platform that wanted to expand. They had already expanded to soccer um, and they were having success with that. So she's like, let's do a pickleball one. And you're kind of the guy that I want to go to to write the back end stuff. And I feel like you're the most qualified person to do that. And uh, she told me the same thing. We, <laughs> I know, right? It's the same story for everybody. Went to uh, Jordan Briones after that, Johnson Cola, same story. Bunch of chumps. <laughs> but uh, after we talked and we kind of discussed and I met Rick, um, who was one of the other co-founders, I decided it was something that I wanted to do. So um, definitely helped a lot in those first few months. And now it's it's taken off, it's launched. Um, so we're excited about expanding it now. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been pretty, pretty cool so far. I've actually had a bunch of clients. I don't know how many films you've reviewed so far. But for those who don't know what we're talking about, which is probably 99.9% .9 of you, including <laughs> Thomas, including me, uh, <laughs> what's going on. Basically, we we co founded an, an app called my pickleball coach, where you submit video footage of yourself playing short clips, and we work through different elements of your game. There's nine on paddle skills like you know, your dink technique, your forehand, backhand, that type of stuff, third shot. And then there's off paddle skills like ready position, court positioning, partner chemistry, all of that stuff. And we basically take you through a journey of improving your your pickleball game. So yeah, it's been it's been fun so far. For sure. Yeah. And we've just been learning on the go. And definitely they have the golf platform that does really well. So it's nice to not start from scratch. So I think that's really valuable. Uh, but to answer your question, I haven't done any reviews. I've been slacking on that, and I still need to train my assistants because once we get to a critical mass, we're not going to be able to review hundreds of match film or uh, all these clients sending stuff back. So to make it scalable, you have assistants. So just to be clear, you're not able to send me match film and just guarantee that Colin Johns will review it right away. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Thomas, we can help you, help you get your duper up for sure. I'm bored of this conversation. <laughs> well, why don't you just read your Swimply ad then? Yeah, I don't have a Swimply ad today. <laughs> wow, okay. But if well, I can steer the conversation before you do, I want to talk paddles, okay? And I want to get Colin's take on, and we can just talk about like paddle gate version one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> like just your general take on the issues with deflection surface roughness, testing, the discrepancy between being able to play certain paddles in MLP, but, or sorry, PPA, but not MLP and all that. I mean, generally, like how much of a difference do you think having a, a hot paddle makes or having an overly gritty paddle? Like this paddle tech, how much of a factor is it in pickleball right now? Yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> we, we could be here a very long time. Uh, definitely. It's been a hot button topic for a while now and the paddle does make a very big difference right now um, where I feel like a few years ago more or less all the paddles were the same most of them were fiberglass electrum was the first one to come out with that carbon fiber surface and then everyone started to mimic that and everything changed um, and then the power went up as well uh, so having a really good paddle to me makes a difference in the sense that when you're counter punching if you can just get the paddle into position if you have a flamethrower paddle, it's just going to hit the ball back so much harder. Um, so we had the delaminated issue earlier this year, um, and it was making players that, no disrespect, that were four, five, five zero players hitting the ball harder than top pros, mm -hmm. which I don't think is appropriate, and nor is it safe. Um, there were a few times where I was playing against some paddles where I was like, I don't even feel safe right now. I want to put on some protective goggles if that's how hard you can hit the ball. Because if you miss high, there's no way you can get out of the way. Um, so that becomes a safety issue. Um, fortunately, we got the DLAM issue sorted out quite a bit. I feel like our testing procedures now, at least it's a it's a big deterrent for people to use those sort of paddles. And honestly, it's pretty, pretty easy to tell when the paddle's delaminated. Right. Um, versus something like exit speed ratio or the deflection test that's much harder to measure. So I do feel like we need to go to a better test. Uh, the deflection test is not great. And the reason being, it can really vary quite a bit. And my brother did a podcast, I think, with you guys that got mm -hmm. into the specifics, and he can talk way more technical than I can on that. But Major League Baseball uses an exit speed ratio and coefficient of restitution. So both of those tests are more accurate and essentially it's more pure where it's like, all right, if we throw the ball into the paddle at a given speed, how hard does it come off the paddle? It doesn't matter how thin the paddle is, how thick, what surface, whatever. Here's what the limit is. And if it exceeds it, you're not allowed to use the paddle. Um, so if we get to that test, and I've talked to Carl Schmitz a bit on that, um, they do want to move to that test. It's just going to be more expensive and it's going to be more time consuming. So once we get to that, I feel like we'll have to decide where do we want to set the limit because obviously there's a limit right now in terms of deflection. Um, but I think it would make more sense if we kind of got together as players and tours and said, hey, where should the limit be? Because you look at the points right now and women's doubles is actually more entertaining to watch in many ways because you have more extended firefights. And what some people complain about right now is at the top level on the male side, the dink rallies last forever. And they're like, well, why is that? And the reason is when when you're in a dink rally and you want to speed the ball up, there's a high level of risk. Because if somebody like Deckel gets on top of a counter punch with a really hot paddle like he uses, the point is just over. Like you will not be getting that back. Versus the ladies, they have a lot of power and they have powerful paddles, but they don't have as much. And their court positioning is not usually as far up towards the line. So they can usually get the next one back. And that's when you get those great extended firefights. Not that it doesn't happen on the male side, but it happens less. 
because the risk is so much more. So I feel like the points would start to be better again um, or more like what they used to be if you lessened the deflection. So if everyone had less of a hot paddle, I think the risk of attacking would be lessened and more people would speed up the ball. And that's another component to it, the the spin, where you can generate enough spin to get the ball below the level of the net on a speed up on a relatively higher ball. Um, maybe it's still below the level of the net, but if you can dip it enough, then you can start these firefights. And then I feel like the, the points will be accelerated and it could be more fun to watch. Um, a lot of people talk about the long dink rallies and like, oh, I don't like it or this or that. I would caution people to really think twice about that because it is kind of nice to see the different styles of play. Maybe the women's game is faster and the guy's game is slower. You get to see the chess match, so to speak, so to, so to speak, on the dink rallies and, and moving the ball around and why we're putting it there. Um, so there's definitely some thought you need to put into it, but the paddle technology, I feel, is a lot more important than people think. And it's really a testament to that is how different the guy's game is played versus the ladies' game. Hell of an answer. Uh, we were just talking about when you came on, when it was you, me, and Casey Patterson, <laughs> and you and Casey just went off for like 20 minutes, and I just sat there without contributing a thing. <laughs> that was a good podcast interview, for sure. Casey and I hit it off. I had never talked to Casey more than a couple minutes at a time before that, Yeah, and uh, there were a lot of similarities. Um, we could probably uh, fire up the uh, recast of that at some point. There were some good highlight clips. For yeah, me. yeah. Well, I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm a fan of when you just kind of go into these rabbit holes. So don't, <laughs> well, uh, don't, we, we could dive even deeper into that rabbit hole for sure. Well, what's your understanding of the way that? So I think we all kind of know at this point how spin is attempted to be regulated, and it's regulated by surface surface roughness, right? Yes. So I think it's pretty well understood how that's done mm -hmm. the different standards across mlp ppa uh, across paddles but what is i don't even fully understand currently how deflection is being tested i know there's basically the only thing as i understand it and let me know if you understand it differently the only thing that's currently going on on site at a ppa tournament is a basically ultrasound to make to see whether the face of the paddle is adhered to the core. And if there's separation, that paddle can be can be eliminated or uh, disqualified. Yes. So at PPA, they have more limited equipment. I think MLP has a bit more at their disposal. Um, I think Brooks Wiley told me that they took, it was like 24, 28 paddles mm -hmm. out of play at the last MLP event due to them being over the limit in some way. So that's interesting to me that if you have some higher level tech equipment, you can start to take other paddles out of play that would maybe pass to PPA. So longer term, I feel like we need a solution. And it might be as simple as, you know, warning the paddle manufacturers that they they can't exceed these limits or there will be harsh penalties. And then the problem may go away on its own, um, sort of like the uh, the grit limit where you saw the fiasco that happened last year and essentially the penalties became a little bit more harsh and everyone was deterred from potentially going over the limit so i know that the paddles that i get not everyone huh, what's that <laughs> nothing gone <laughs> uh the paddles that i get from yola they test them beforehand to make sure that they're within that margin of error make sure that you want to get it as close to the limit as possible, obviously, for performance, but you don't want to go over the limit so you're not cheating the system. So that's something I feel like more companies are doing for the pro players. 
And obviously it makes a difference at the amateur levels as well. But as long as it's not way, way over, I don't feel like they're going to gain a huge advantage. The, the main thing you really have to take out of play is the outliers where somebody can't be using a paddle that has 60, 70 grit when the limit's 40, because then essentially you're making that player have a big advantage over other people because they don't have that equipment. They're, they're better simply because they have better equipment, which is the whole is defeating the whole purpose of having rules. Mm -hmm. um, and then you see some, some different loopholes that are coming in um, where it's an average of six directions when they measure the, the surface roughness test. And what some companies figured out is if we make one direction really smooth and one direction really rough, you're still going to get a lot more spin because one direction of the grooves matters a lot more than the other. So you have to close a loophole like that. That company sounds real smart. They, they sound real <laughs> smart. <honest>. I mean, <laughs> they, uh, there needs to be a rule put in place um, to where it can't exceed a certain number because essentially it's just getting around the rules again. And obviously saying that you want to up the surface roughness is an entirely different conversation, but the intent of the rules is to make sure that people can't get around the system. So definitely it's a learning process and pickleball is a very new sport and it's something that every sport goes through and major league baseball is still amending their rules with mm -hmm. the different bats and deflections and what have you. So it's no surprise that pickleball is having this, having these issues. It's not like, um, there's a bunch of nefarious activity going on. Every sport goes through this and it's just a matter of making sure you prioritize that everyone's playing under the same rules. So how would you define, how would you differentiate an innovation from skirting around the rules? I think that you have to decide what we want the rules to really encompass because maybe everyone wants the surface roughness to go up and maybe that's okay. Maybe that'll make the points better or maybe everyone wants to raise the deflection, but that's a bad idea for safety reasons. So you have to really understand what is going to make this sport worth watching so in college I baseball think i think you hit the nail on the head there yeah yeah and in college baseball they had to take out aluminum bats because literally people were getting hurt and they went to composite bats so that's just a a reason that they felt they had to change the rules and i'm not saying that we should be quick to change the rules but i think that everyone can more or less agree on what is innovation and what is skirting the rules and it's something that a lot of people should weigh in on and it's not a decision one or two people should make but it's definitely something that keeps coming up at least recently yeah definitely yeah i mean i think it's interesting that we certainly need to have an overall objective right yeah. like do you want to limit power do you want to limit spin right or whatever it is do you want to limit there's an obvious one do you want to limit the the dimensions of the paddle that's easy to enforce right yeah. but power and spin are obviously much more difficult to test in in real time I, I do think that it's it's tough because players are looking out for their own interests right which is look somebody else has a better better paddle than me like i want that paddle gone and so if you it's it's a little bit of the wolves and the sheep voting on what's for dinner. Yes. Right? It is true. And I think a good point on that is you don't want to change the equipment so much that the players that have been playing a long time feel like they not wasted their time, but they practice something that is now obsolete. So I had a really good conversation about I'd say this that's accurate. Yeah. With, with Callan Dawson recently. And I said to him, why do you think the original group of players in Pickleball still win? And certainly some new players that come along, but most of the players that are top players right now have been playing an extended amount of time. Someone like Matt Wright, where 
he is clearly he's older he's not as athletic as some of the younger players that have come in and he wouldn't argue that but he still wins and why is that and Callan thought well when we came in we didn't have these gritty powerful paddles we had to practice something like dinking for hours on end and I feel like it gave us a skill set that a lot of players these days skip because you have better equipment and they're like well why should I dink when I can just flip when I got this amazing really powerful really gritty paddle and they don't end up practicing something like thinking as much as we did back in the day because we had no other option so I thought that was a really interesting answer and I think that changing the paddle technology would definitely make some skills more or less obsolete which I would definitely caution against do we want pickleball to remain pickleball we don't want to to become miniature tennis, where if you take an extreme case and you made the paddles twice as gritty and twice as powerful, singles for sure would become miniature tennis. And I don't think anybody wants that. Um, pickleball is what it is because it's pickleball. It's not other sports. Um, there's definitely nuance to it. And it definitely doesn't make the, the players that have been putting in a lot of time for many years feel good when somebody can rock in and in a few months they can be one of the top players. That doesn't seem very appropriate. And certainly people put in a lot of hard work, and I'm not saying they don't, but it's something that I would say is important to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that just goes back to the overall overall objective as well, right? Like, what do we want our points to to look like? Yeah. And you can adjust, too. If, it's got, if speeding up has gotten so disincentivized by poppy paddles or or whatever you can you can then make an, an adjustment um i do think that you know a lot of this happens so quickly where baseball there are these tiny tiny innovations that are being made year in and year out that might have a one percent effect on somebody's play however pickleball like you can switch a paddle and potentially have a 30 percent increase in your in your play if you are using you know that that new gearbox paddle for example right like yeah. Even if that thing is completely legal by every uh, testing protocol, I guarantee that paddle will be banned. Yeah, I would. I haven't played with that paddle enough or played against that paddle enough to, I have. to say specifically. And Brandon had it this week, and it certainly seemed very hot to me. And yeah. Sorry, what paddle was this? It, it's the new Gearbox paddle, and oh, a okay. few people are talking about it already. Seems to be really good paddle. And yeah, I think you're right, where essentially there would be a new set of rules put in place. They're like, we don't care that you got around all the rules that currently exist. That paddle is dangerous or it's giving you too much of an advantage over the competition because I don't think anyone's saying that we have the perfect set of rules yet. And I'm not singling out Gearbox by any stretch, and I'm not saying they're cheating the rules or anything like that. Um, I, would, I would bet a lot of money that Raphael is within every single published rule. Yeah. Because I think he's – I think that guy's a very smart paddle manufacturer. Absolutely, and he's done his research and development, and he's probably earned the fact that that paddle passes. Um, so that's not what we're saying. It's more that – something can be created outside of what we want based on the current rules that exist and we're going to have to tighten it up to where we're like we're deciding that the paddle can only do this where that's where i really like something like exit speed ratio because right. it's more pure and something like the gearbox paddle might be passing deflection quote unquote but the exit speed ratio is double what we want it to be and it's making the points either a safety hazard or it's giving them too much of an advantage over the competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I actually think with better equipment, the exit velocity will probably be the easiest thing to test. Yeah. It'll be far easier to test than spin generation. You would think. I mean, I think it's easier to test the surface of a paddle. Yes, but currently. Currently, but the 
the thing about the deflection or exit speed ratio, it needs to be done in a controlled environment. Right. So essentially it needs to be done in a lab if you really want an accurate reading. Now, maybe, and I don't know this for sure, maybe we can come up with something that's a little bit more primitive that could be done on site that would deter people from really breaking the rules. Maybe it couldn't catch something that's 10% over the limit, but it'll catch something that's 50% over the limit, something like that. Um, and I'm the wrong person to talk to on that. Someone like Carl Schmitz would know a lot more than me. But I think that we could put something in place to where we could have a fix for that. Yeah, something as simple as like having Daniel De La Rosa hit forehands at you and see if you live. <laughs> see if you live. I mean, I think we can all say that Daniel hits the hardest overhead. Anything above the shoulders, you just want to run for the hills because yes, you might die. Yes, correct. <laughs> and he was playing with the Ace of Spades Pro Canex paddle. And I was like, dear God, you don't need to give that guy more power. Yeah, if that guy decides that he just wants to tee off on one, he could end your life. He could. Yes. And he could probably do that with like a Selkirk Lux 20 millimeter <laughs> thick paddle. Like, I've, that's, I've that's heard a that that paddle is pretty soft. Let's see how hard Daniel can hit it. With this is true. Lux. I think I feel like I could survive a Dan Daniel De La Rosa forehand from a Lux paddle. To the forehead? I didn't say that. <laughs> okay. I think I, he could still hit it hard enough to where you'd have severe brain damage. I already do. <laughs> already Beyond do. the obvious. <laughs> yeah. Well... Okay. Obviously, you uh, are have watched all of Jill Braverman's podcasts. You are a big uh, what is the podcast called? Jilly B. The Jilly B. Podcast. I call it the Jill Braverman podcast. Yeah. The, okay. So, did you uh, did you actually catch the most recent one in where she called the PPA the biggest cheater in the game? I did not catch that podcast i'm unfamiliar with those words until you just spoke them so okay tommy you want to take us through it yeah i mean so i think we touched on it like for the most part from a from a high level but basically it's like okay so there are 24 paddles confiscated that failed in atlanta which is up from nine in san clemente but you were able to play with these paddles in in the ppa right um and then basically like so the PPA doesn't have on-site deflection testing. They're only testing for roughness and core crushing, which causes like the trampoline effect yeah, core the, crushing does. Yeah, the DLAM. Whereas MLP is testing on-site for deflection. I actually don't understand the difference between the core crushing and deflection. No, and you never have. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to walk Thomas through this, this again. This is going to be the fourth time that I've explained it to you. So – <laughs> Maybe I should give it a go. Yeah, go, yeah. go. We'll go for a, a ride. <laughs> that, I mean, that's not ultimately that's not what this is about. It's about the fact that like MLP is de is testing for different things than PPA, and then in PPA, you know, the most recent there was an issue, and Jill really called it out on her podcast where her and Tyro were playing Jade and Irina, and Irina clearly had a hot paddle, and she was saying, I mean, it was just completely unfair. She felt it was a safety issue, not only giving it giving her an unfair advantage. Um, and the general question is like, well, why is the PPA not testing for something that MLP is clearly able to test for on site, which is why she went as far as saying PPA is the biggest cheater in the game, just to add some context. Yeah, so right now, obviously, they're two very distinct tours, although the merger um, just happened. Uh, so there's going to be, you know, different equipment, different rules in place. And for example, MLP banned the white paddles for the last event. PPA is waiting until the end of the year to ban the white paddles. Um, so you can see one rule difference, just a simple one like that. Um, I think it's an equipment issue to where 
PPA does not have the same equipment that MLP has on site. And I couldn't tell you exactly why that is, but you definitely see an issue here. And it seems that MLP is solving the deflection slash exit speed ratio issue better than PPA right now. And in a perfect world, I would have that same equipment at a PPA and probably even more than that. Um, so hopefully at some point we do have that. And I think all the players want it because I feel like a lot of people view the paddle issue as a non-issue until they play against a paddle that's so good where they're like, this is not fair. Now I get it. Now I understand why people are complaining about a white paddle that's reflective or a paddle that's really hot or really gritty. And until you experience that firsthand, I feel like a lot of people kind of say, oh, it can't be that big of a difference. Um, so I think it's a good thing when people bring up those issues. Now, whether the PPA is purposefully cheating for their players is a completely different statement, right. um, which I don't agree with. Um, I think the fact that they have testing and we're leading the way on testing surface roughness is a good thing, um, but can it can definitely be improved. Yeah. So, so real quick, okay. what percent better could you be or any not you just any player using going from a completely average paddle in every way to a paddle that is top of the line best for their game and they learn how to use it like what percent of a player's skill do you think can be attributed to one of these paddles what percent better does using a delaminated paddle paddle make you yeah, it's a it's a good question. If you I, can learn to play with it, obviously. if you can learn to play with it, and certainly it'll help some players more than others. Mm -hmm. But I think a good example is when amateurs come up to me and like, "What paddle should I play with?" I said, "Well, I can't tell exactly what the right paddle is. I mean, obviously, Colin John's paddle, but if you don't want to use that, um, <laughs> you you want to choose one of the main paddle brand manufacturers because there's a big difference between the junk paddles that you buy at Walmart mm -hmm. and good paddles." So if you stick to one of the main brands and you go for a few things that I think are important, something like good dimensions for an amateur. So if you're looking at like a 4.0 player, you want something that's a little bit wider, so fatter and less length because typically people miss hit the ball left and right, not up and down. So that's just a really easy one in terms of dimensions. And then you want to play with something a little bit more powerful because why not? It's a big advantage in terms of counterpunching. And yes, you might miss a little bit more but especially at amateur levels, you can overwhelm people with power. Um, so little things like that can take somebody who was maybe a 4-0 player all the way up to probably a 4-5 player or more. If you have a D-Lamp paddle where you're hitting the ball twice as hard as everyone else, you saw this with the spin serve that you're really familiar with. There were people that were never winning. Never heard of it. Never heard of it, right? Uh, there were people that were winning 5-0 tournaments with the spin serve, and then you took it away, and now these same people are not meddling it at 4-0. I'm not singling anyone out, anyone else out. It's just a fact where this one thing is making somebody much, much better. And whether that was uh, a fair rule change or not is a different conversation, but I think paddles fall in that same category, especially when you make it an extreme case. I mean, if you gave somebody literally a tennis racket, like that's the most extreme case that I can think of, yeah, they would go and win pro because they could hit the ball twice as hard as Ben. But I don't think that that's fair. So you definitely have to keep all those things in mind when you're selecting a paddle. And you should certainly maximize the paddle that you play with. Don't play with a piece of junk if you want to be a competitive player. And if there's something out there that is legal, but it's much better than everything else, go for it until it becomes illegal. So I, I would say that it, it makes you significantly better because it makes your skills 
just better just because you have a better paddle in your hand you don't have to make yourself any better um how much just varies a little bit person okay. to person. for anybody in michigan who's listening so we are doing with bounce uh which is the the pickleball app they have an amateur tour we're doing a pickleball tournament in detroit at court four and that's november 11th and 12th i'll be there we're gonna get a bunch of people to come out trot pickleball this is your your call to, to come out eddie and webby hopefully um, and we'll get some other people in the in the Michigan area who are in the pickleball content game to come out. But yeah, it'll be a, a good tournament. I'm gonna play in it, so come come play against me. And uh, yeah, it should be awesome. Average pro pro player goes from using what they're sponsored with to to a the new gearbox paddle. What percent? All right, let's take Tyson as an example. He used to play with a really soft Selkirk before they came out with the 002 and those generations of paddles. And his counterpunching got significantly better with the new paddle because it's more hot. It comes back at you faster. Dylan as an example, Dylan, too. I Dylan, mean, his, another, he wasn't quite as as soft before the uh, Yeah, he had the, the, Onyx, the Onyx. The Onyx but, one that Matt Wright used to use, the Premier, which was a little bit more of a hot paddle. Which so is, it wasn't, yeah, it was poppier. It, yeah, it was poppier. So it wasn't as big of a difference as it was for Tyson because the first Selkirk he used was so soft. Now he's playing with probably the hottest paddle in pickleball, in my opinion, uh, which is the Power Air slash 002 generation of paddles. And it's made his counterpunching significantly better. And then if you look at the opposite with someone like Jay, who's playing with a Vulcan paddle that is not, let's just say it's not the best paddle in the market right now. His results have suffered in the past year because I feel like if he had a better paddle, he would he would be able to get more wins. Um, just my opinion. I'm not singling out Vulcan or anyone else saying that you're not trying to, to get a better paddle. It's just, I think that the paddle does make a difference. Sounds whether like that's what you're saying well <laughs> it sounds like that's what i'm saying that's why i'm clarifying that it's not what i'm saying thomas uh but uh <laughs> definitely makes a difference in both directions if you have a really bad paddle your results are going to suffer if you have a really good paddle your results are going to get better and if you look at the electrum players um obviously i was sponsored by electrum in the past but when they first came out with that first <clears throat> paddle and it was the original pro all the Electrum players got good at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really a coincidence to me where Pat Smith, Lauren Stratman, Dane Gingrich, um, Baby Curios, um, I think Scott Crandall, they all seemed to have better results overnight. And and that was like that was like Paddlegate 1. And that was Paddlegate 1. Mm -hmm. And obviously Electrum got into some hot water over a batch of paddles that were over the limit, but they were also the first ones to have that surface. So the carbon fiber surface in general changed the game. And those people definitely hit the ball harder and spinnier after having switched to that paddle. So I'm not saying that the results are necessarily 100% linked, but it's pretty suspicious when all of the players at the same time get significantly better when they switch paddles um, i would say that that is definitely something that was helpful to them yeah i mean you what went, fucking what? percentage <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what percentage <laughs> i can't give you a percentage. I don't, okay. 25 30 dang okay they yeah. can't so it's, up to 25 30 okay. percent depending I, on who you are because okay. Sure, if, sure, sure. If you're Daniel De La Rosa, I don't think you need more power. Right, right. Let's try to get him a lux and see if he can. Fair. I'd put the put the bell curve centered maybe around fifteen percent better. 
with, okay. with, well, pe- yeah. with outliers All right, on either side. If we have to settle on a percentage. Yes, this, we have to settle on a... <laughs> ceiling 25. I don't know. That's just a ballpark. Come on, man. We need a clip for this one. <laughs> we, need a, we need a title for the YouTube video. <laughs> Help us out, bro. <laughs> Colin John says 25% better. That's the high end. High end. And Vulcan's trap. <laughs> no, I never said that. <laughs> this is going to be a great title. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but okay, so to what degree, though, is the player responsible to acknowledge, hey, okay, I clearly have a hot paddle and holster it and switch it out for another, if at all? Because we've had the issues of, you know, Leia calling out uh, Salome, just recently Jill calling out Irina. We've had other instances of it. Like, do you think it's on Salome? Do you think it's on Irina to be like, you know what? Yeah, this paddle's clearly hot. The ref agrees. All the players agree. I can tell. I should put this aside and go for another paddle. It's hard to really put that on the player because there's not a really distinct rule. It's not like, oh, if I hit the ball this miles per hour, that's clearly over the limit. Now, delamination is a different issue because it's very easy to tell when your paddle's delaminated. It sounds different. You get that Rice Krispie treat sort of feel if you squeeze the core oh everybody can tell except for the refs yeah except for the refs for some reason i was like i will train all the refs in existence to (laughs) single out the d-lam paddles it'll take me like five minutes if you hear a gunshot it's not a gunshot it's a delaminated yeah it's a delaminated paddle that's pretty much the end of the conversation so i think d-lam is different the other thing that i would put on the players is if the paddle is testing at a very high rate before the match you should be skeptical about using because it's pretty easy to rotate it out where let's say you have a paddle that tests at 43 and the margin of error at ppas is within i think it's 43 if it gets are we talking 43 in the delamination or or in grit grit, so the grit test so the limit's 40 but you can go up to 43 because of the margin for error on the machine so if a player sees that their paddle's coming in at like 43 or 42.8, maybe you use a different paddle because it's like, hey, it is over the limit. It's before the match. I know the limit's 40. Like I could get away with using this paddle, but morally I would feel like you shouldn't do that. That's just me. I'm not saying that they're breaking the rules necessarily. The tour is saying, here's what the limit is. Here's what you can use. You can use all the way up to that. But Personally, I feel like that would be giving me an advantage that would not be completely the morally high ground. Um, That would be the only other thing that I would put on the player. But something like deflection, it's really hard because there's a very fine line between a hot paddle and an illegal paddle, as long as it's not delaminated. Mm. So if there, what do you think the rule is? If the the rule is supposed to be 40, but there's a, a margin of error and to up to 43, what is the actual rule? Or is the standard 40 or is the standard 43? So that's something that changed at PPAs because back in the day when they first started testing paddles, it was only if you challenged the paddle that they would test it. So they had to put in a margin of error because the test was not completely reliable. So in other words, if you did the average of six directions and it came in at 41, the next time you did it, it could come in at 38 just because there's a margin of error with the equipment. So they didn't want to penalize somebody who was potentially getting hosed on a bad test. So there was, they were doing multiple tests, and then they also put in the rule that it can be up to 43, but not 44, um, to help with the challenge system. Now, after the challenge system went away and you had to test the paddles 
before the match. Not that it completely went away. You can still challenge the paddles. But quarterfinals on at a PPA, you have to test your paddles before the match. So you know what the reading is before you even play. They put the stickers on. So that's what I'm talking about where if you're testing your paddles before the match and you see that they're over 40, you know that they're over the limit. And the PPA knows that they're over the limit. So it's pretty simple. Just say, don't use this paddle. We we caught the paddle beforehand. Good thing. And here's one that's 39.8. You're welcome to use the 39.8. So that's sort of what I mean. And that's also how the testing evolved for the PPA. Because at first it was margin of error because it was a challenge system. But after the challenge system became more of a secondary option and they're testing before the match, you know before the match whether it's over 40 or not. Or not. So it's unnecessary to put the new limit at 43 that's just not dumb in my opinion okay well i guess we'll we'll agree to disagree if you're not going to disqualify it underneath 43 i have no no problem with it if you're over the the margin of error and over 43 you don't get to play with that paddle and you know with something like surface roughness or spin you know that the the texture is never going to go up Right, you know that you uh, except unless there's a margin of error, like different reading, whatever. Your paddle's not going to objectively get grittier throughout a. No, a match. It, it won't get grittier for it sure. It could read differently, but but that's why the the rule has changed for PPA because if we're saying we're agreeing that the limit is forty, and the only reason that we're putting it at forty three is for margin of error, if you catch a paddle before the match that's over forty, it's over the limit. That's all I'm saying. And I, I think that's a that's a fair enough take. I I guess. My my counter to that would be like, if it's not, if the limit, if they're not taking it out of competition, if it's under forty three, you can say you could say that the the rule is is thirty, but we have a twenty five percent margin of of error. I, I think all of that is irrelevant. It's it should be black and white. Well, this is an eliminated number. I, this I'm is more not. saying that. If we're saying the limit's 40, then why should it be above 40? Okay, I agree. I'll agree with you. We want to say the limit's 40. I, do, I think the margin of error thing is kind of dumb, to be honest. Like, let's just have a black and white number, regardless of that margin of error. And I do think that it's good to have testing preemptively where you can, right? So something that we've done with, with our paddles, and it's in all of our ProXR contracts, is when testing is available ahead of time, like we have to get our paddle tested to make sure that we're not playing with something that is above whatever standard it is, whether it's 40 or 43, yeah. right? Because I don't want to break the rule, but I want to be as close to the rule as possible. Clearly, for performance, I would want mine 39.9 every time. Sure. So but, like, if it's 40, like, let's get it tested for 40. If it's yeah. 40 with a margin of error, like, I think objectively, I think effect, not objectively, effectively the rule then is 43. Exactly, which I think is dumb. If you're going to put the limit at 40, keep it at 40. And there are other ways to do it where you could say, all right, we'll test the average of six directions three different times. And if the average of those three tests is below 40, then you're good. So let's say you have one outlier test right. that's 41, mm -hmm. and then the other one's 39, and the last one's 38. You're good because it's got the average of those three tests is going to be below 40. Yeah, okay. So I think we're on the same page. I think I think that the margin of error thing is... It, the margin of error makes it confusing. So I'm right. just saying don't arbitrarily make it 43 just because of this margin of error. Yeah. Okay. I think we're on the same page. Okay, glad we uh, glad we glad hashed that, that out. out huh? <laughs> no, I think this is what this is what a very small subset of our viewers wants to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Our very, listeners. very, very small. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the tour wars. I mean, like, what has been your general take? I saw you over at 
Austin Pickle Ranch in the midst of the race for talent. And I remember looking at you and being like, what do you think of all this? And then I stopped and I go, uh, you don't care. You're kind of just chilling, right? <laughs> you were signed with PPA from the get-go, you and Ben, right? And so you just watched the rest of it play out. But I mean, what was that like? What's your general take on the two kind of going head-to-head now ultimately coming to a, a merger here? Are you tired of the endless search for the perfect court? Well, say goodbye to court hunting hassles with Swimply, your go-to solution for hassle-free court rentals. So whether you're planning a pickleball party or just want to enjoy a friendly match, Swimply has got you covered. With Swimply, you can easily find and book private courts that suit your game and your schedule. Just download their app, browse available courts in your area, and book the one that's perfect for you. Beautiful backyard pickleball courts are just a tap away. Just a tap away. It's an Airbnb for pickleball courts. It's actually a super cool concept. Uh, So don't let the court hunt hold you back. Dive into the world of Swimply today. Visit swimply.com. Or find them in the App Store. Escape locally with Swimply. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And certainly we had something like this happen last year where there was merger and then, you know, it got revoked. And there's been a lot of back and forth. And obviously, there are some definite pros about having everyone under the same umbrella and playing together the best, playing against the best. And whether it's an MLP or PPA, Um, I think the sport as a whole is more watchable to the viewership if everyone is playing under the same umbrella. Uh, That being said, I think that two separate tours in some ways is kind of nice because you have a completely different environment. And if they're merged, there's going to be some overlap on the feel of the events when you go there. So it was cool to me to to go to MLP the first part of this year and feel like it was a, a different entity. You see different people there. It's a totally different vibe. Um, even a little bit of different rules. You have the rally scoring, obviously. You have the team event. Um, that makes it cool. And I think a lot of people like to watch it because of that. And not that that's going to go away, but whenever you merge something, it's going to become a little bit more uniform event to event. And to answer your question on me personally, um, Certainly, you have to make the the best decision for you. And obviously, Ben and I were going to go in the same direction for obvious reasons. Um, but one of the big things for us is that we built our personal brand on being the best doubles team in the world together. And what a lot of people forget at MLP is you're not going to have the luxury of being able to play together. So had we gone to MLP, it would have been, you know, sabotaging our personal brand in a way. Not that the other tournaments are going to go away, but from the very beginning, that was our goal and that's what we've gotten to. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to then go to a tour to where you can't have that anymore. So that was sort of an elephant in the room to me. Um, and obviously there are, there's money being thrown around. There are different you know loyalties or what have you, different conversations you have. There's, there's a lot of personal stuff that goes into making the right decision for you. And I don't begrudge anybody who made a personal decision um, based on what they were being offered. Um, Certainly some feelings were heard on loyalties or or what have you, but um, I don't want to to judge too harshly. Certainly some of these numbers that you're hearing are are life-changing numbers. Some people have families and they're going to make decisions based on what they feel is best for them. Um, But I do think that the, the average wage of a pickleball player was just arbitrarily driven up drastically. So I think everyone who happened to be fortunate enough to be a player or a top player in this time is extremely lucky. And we should be um, grateful for that to where we're getting paid probably, in my opinion, higher than the market value of a pickleball player should be. 
Um, but who am I to say what it should be? Uh, I mean, maybe it's low. I don't know. But um, in my opinion, I think that we're getting overpaid, if anything. So just be be grateful for what we got. And uh, I want to make the most of that and expand the sport as much as possible in the next few years. I like it. It's a good answer, dude. You maybe go into politics at some point. <laughs> that was the politically correct answer, Thomas. And uh, yeah. I I know both people. I mean, the people on both sides. Um, I enjoy playing MLP. I enjoy playing PPA. And even in the very beginning, there was APP, and I played some events there. I I don't have anything against any one of those entities. I think it's all good for pickleball, and competition is good. It makes the other entities raise their game. Um, you looked at that the first year with APP and PPA. I feel like um, APP is like, well, we're going to do this, and PPA is, well, we're going to do this. And it made it better for the players, and it raised the standards for everybody. And whenever you raise the standards for everybody, I think the product as a whole gets better. Um, so I'm a huge fan of competition, and I think it's been a good thing. Yeah, my hope here under a merged entity, and it's sounding a little bit like this, but this is all subject to change, is that they do keep it's, – it's sounding like they're going to keep MLP and PPA as distinct brands for a little bit, feel it out for a few years, and see – you know, maybe maybe we go under everything under the PPA umbrella and you have the PPA tour and the PPA team. Or maybe we toss everything under the MLP umbrella and we have the MLP tour and the MLP team events. Like it sounds like they're still going to be pitting the entities against each other a little bit just yeah. in terms of what plays better to to your average viewer. Because I think that they they recognize as well that the comp competition between the different entities, whether that's APP, MLP, um, or PPA, I think has has raised the standard for the for the game over the last few years. That's for sure. So yeah, no doubt. Something that I do think will be positive out of the merger is that you're going to save overhead costs quite a bit. So if you look at the next upcoming event where it's nationals and MLP, the setup is just so much easier. And same thing when you put any event back to back, like the San Clemente one and the MLP one at the end of the year the setup where you're going to put up the video boards and the sponsor banners and all that and have everyone in one place and and all that, you're going to save a lot of money and resources by doing that. So to not do that is a huge opportunity lost to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, we got some uh, some quotes from Tim Parks before this. <laughs> we, we, Why? we kind of walk through. Like, all right, yeah, news, go, for it, go for it. Right, which is Steve Kuhn's resignation. Um, so if I could make it super concise, right? So we're headed into the merger. Finally, everything seems to be hashed out. Wait, Alt which the merger? You got to get to back that up. <laughs> the final merger. The final, final merger. The, the most recent all, merger. The, the most recent merger. Yeah, no. Okay. In that, Al Tylus and Jason Stein come in and they, you know, write a check for 50 mil and kind of become what I would say is the most, I would like as individuals, they hold the the most power essentially, right? And the most influence. Ahead of this merger, right? Late last week, Steve Kuhn calls a board meeting of just Major League Pickleball, but discludes Al Tylus and Jason Stein. He presents somewhat of an alternative, not saying we shouldn't do the merger, but let's auction off more teams. Let's raise some more capital. And that is a departure from what was agree agreed upon for the merger. In that meeting, sort of does his rallying cry, which I think has worked in the past, it becomes apparent that he doesn't have as much allegiance as he once did from the various players within Major League Pickleball. Players meaning stakeholders. 
Um, after that meeting or in that meeting, two people on the board resign. And after we, that- Do we know which two those were? No, we don't. Um, but then a third resigned, which was Al Tylus. He goes, you know what? Screw it. This is like chaos again. Not what we talked about. This is BS. I'm resigning. After that, Steve Kuhn ultimately tenders his own resignation uh, with an email to all Major League Pickleball stakeholders, which unfortunately is now circulating on on Twitter, so you can probably go um, track that down. Uh, but essentially, he said, I'm sorry, I let the emotions get the best of me. Um, I'm going to go my separate ways. I just want to continue to run Duper and the other ventures I have. I'd like to be free of essentially litigation. Um, and uh, I wish you all the best, right? And so that kind of brings us to where we are now. And if I'm not wrong, the, the CEO also resigned. Is that correct? The Julio? Julio of, of MLP. I thought I read that somewhere, but yeah, I, could be, he, I could be wrong. I think I heard that too. He might've been one of those resignations um, from the Major League Pickleball Board when Steve held that first meeting, right? Okay. That's um, unconfirmed, so I... Yeah. And honestly, in the wake of this, I'm not sure of those people who did resign before Steve did, if those people now after Steve is, has resigned are sort of back in the picture <laughs> and like... Who the heck took knows, back right? their resignation, <laughs> right? So... I'm not totally sure. Um, but yeah, so Monday we we published an article saying, you know, Steve Kuhn resigns, which I think is just a crazy development because obviously he founded it. It was his vision. Um, and, you know, here we are a, a couple months ago. The picture was very, very, very different, right? And there was the race for talent. And now Steve is out of the picture. Connor is no longer the the CEO. At least he won't be of like the, the new joint entity. Um, and... From what we're hearing, they're going to proceed with with this merger. So that that's sort of the the gist of all the recent developments. Did I get that pretty accurately? Yes, I mean, as far as I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, there might be recent developments here in the last three minutes. So right. this is, this <laughs> is the is most true. up to date that we currently have between the three of us. Well, there's been more owners meetings since then. Yeah, and it seems like everybody's on the on the same page again. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean. That's a win for me, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I hope we all still get paid. <laughs> that, yes. would, that would be a good thing. But I mean, I think to your point, I think, you know, the the value of a player, I guess, is what the market pays. But I mean, objectively, I would say I think we're pretty overpaid. Yes, objectively, I think everyone can agree we're we're overpaid, but again who's setting that standard it's it's hard to really say pickleball so new it it may have taken a jump that nobody anticipated and it may stabilize there i don't know but it does seem like we're getting a heck of a lot more for doing the exact same thing we were doing last year that's always nice that's always <laughs> nice i'm not going to say that i'm not happy about it what else do we have uh what else do we have on on that tommy um, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just like the question of like, do you foresee, okay, two, three years from now when these, you know, inflated contracts expire, does average pay get greatly reduced? And what does that mean for for players if if this is the new expectation only for it to change in, in a couple of years from now? That's so hard to answer. I've given up trying to predict what's going to happen in pickleball. Like three years from now, who the heck knows? By the end of 2026, we could have a whole different landscape with new players that are asking for new figures, potentially other bigger sponsors in the game, or we could have a downturn for whatever reason. I don't see that happening, but 
that's impossible to answer and it's hard to see them paying out as many people now the total number might stay the same maybe uh, but the amount of players that were signed it seems a little excessive for what pickleball can handle right now and you have to remember that the tours ultimately long term want to make money mm-hmm. and how they do that is certainly up to them but it seems like having that extensive of a payroll is a bit unnecessary for them which at, players at, at a certain point unnecessary point. oh i'm not naming names no, <laughs> definitely not going there but just in terms of raw numbers i tried it, tommy <laughs> yeah you tried but at a certain point when you get to the you know 40th or whatever number it's like do we really need to pay this person this amount if you look at it from their perspective you you got to think not but right now that's not the case um so in three years again i I don't have a crystal ball i have no idea maybe there will be more players that are signed to bigger contracts um certainly be a good thing for me and zane because hopefully we have longevity of matt wright (laughs) that would (laughs) be great wouldn't it (laughs) yeah i think the key to having longevity like matt wright is a lot of whiskey and gummy bears that's his secret i think so Yeah. yeah and not bending his knees yes no, I don't think he has meniscuses anymore. Menisci. Yeah. How do you say the plural of meniscus? I figured you knew. Menisci? That sounds right. Menisci. <laughs> sounds better. It sounds good. I just say Matt Wright is a unicorn. Nobody plays like him. Nobody can repeat that he can play to 47. And Still what do you the call, top players? What do you call the unicorn? That's a good question. He's the original unicorn. Matt, okay. Wright, Matt Wright is a unicorn. He is not the unicorn. Got it. Okay noted (laughs) important stuff here this is true Uh, this is true well i mean speaking of which matt wright's results have been solid yeah no he's a goat yeah 100 no matter who his partner is he always seems to be fighting for medals so hats off to matt wright 47 years old so next year when ben is playing full-time with eric are you gonna be playing (laughs) with matt wright i mean matt and i have a great great relationship but i think he's committed to james from what i hear Mm. So at that point, I don't know. I was I was going to ask PPA if Annalie Waters could play with me on the male side. Mm. That was my plan. Okay. How do you think you guys would do? I don't know. Sixth, fifth, sixth, probably <laughs> consistently. I feel like, yeah. I if he plays that. the left, if I'm on the left, probably first round loss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say it, but you said that. I mean, we all know. <laughs> Colin's left side game relative to his right side game is significantly worse. <laughs> so on that note um who let's say you can't play with ben anymore which which players which other players do you feel like you would match up best with like obviously you're you're sticking to to the right like what who else is on high on your list of players to play with yeah i definitely need a good left side guy who's aggressive so my mlp teammate jw johnson i feel like his left side game is awesome and looking forward to playing the next event with him um still working out the kinks in that first event so i feel like we can be a lot better in the second event and definitely the third event and i definitely be up for for playing tournaments with anyone who's in that same mold um Declan and i played red rock together this year made it the final had match points in the final so someone like Deco, a good friend of mine has power likes the left uh, another person that I would like to play with, AJ Kohler and I got to the final of Orange County last year. Another good left side player, James Ignatowicz. We played a tournament this year that did not go super well, but I feel like we could do well together. So really anyone who's in that aggressive left side mold, that would be a poor man's Ben. 
um, would be someone who I would look for in men's doubles. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. And so we had this question, we had a stop Alzheimer's question a couple, a couple times ago. Um, who do we think are the top five right side players? And we might as well ask the winningest right side player <laughs> currently. Who are the top five right side players? Top five right side players. All right, we'll go with the easy ones first. So we'll go with me, Matt, and Dylan. The other two it gets a little, little bit more hazy. So obviously Pablo Tejas has had a great year with Federico. I feel like they consistency-wise have been the third best team. So we'll give the nod to Pablo um, right now because he consistently plays the right side, and he's done very well this year. Um, there are a lot of people that are left side players most of the time that can mm -hmm. play a good right side. So someone like Deckel, he's versatile. He can play both sides of the court. DJ Young can play both sides of the court. So it's hard to put them in that category, even though they might be in the running. We're kind of focusing on the people that most of the time play the right side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and Tyson is also in that category, but I feel like he's another really solid right side player where you feel like when you put him on the right, he's in a natural environment for him. He has the skill set over there to do a lot of damage. So I guess we can put Tyson in that top five, but there are a lot of different answers that you could put there where, like I said, Deckel can move over and play the right. Um, but I think the more obvious answers are the ones that are playing the right consistently all the time with their left side partner and doing well. Yeah, no, I'd say that's a fair way of, of phrasing the question because we don't want to, you know, we don't want to evaluate Ben as a right side player. Yeah, right? because like, yeah, he's never, two, never two really Bens would there. be pretty tough. Where where do you think? Okay, what? How good is Ben if he can never go onto the onto the left side? Like he's he's <laughs> stacked on the right side consistently. Like, how good is he as a right side player? Obviously, very very good, but is he? A dominant right side player, as as uh, you and I have discussed in practice. I'm sure that he would uh, figure it out. But I have some funny clips that I've saved over the years where we get switched sides, or he and Annalise switch sides. We're gonna need those. Yes, we're gonna need those. <laughs> where you know he just he gets a dink into the first row of the crowd from the right side, and we're like, "What happened to the good Ben? Like you put him on the right side, and now it was all, going in from yeah, the left side. Yeah, it, all hell broke loose as soon as he switched sides of the court. Which I don't blame him. He hasn't played the right in like years. Um, but he has played the right in the past with uh, Matt Wright briefly, um, Kyle Yates uh, briefly. So it's not like everything changes. And with his skill set, I'm sure he'd figure it out just fine. He'd figure it out. Interesting. All right. So I noticed one thing you didn't have, and I, this could have this could have completely been an oversight. But like, you didn't have Riley as a top five right side player. Do you think he's not a top five right side player? Or are you more so considering him a left side player? I would put him in the left side category. His his skill set is much more suited to the left side. And although he plays the right side quite a bit with his partners, it's not his natural environment. And he his weaknesses are accentuated on the right side. And his strengths are exaggerated on the left side. So I put him in the left side category. Got it. Okay. Interesting. And what do you think of the the breakup? Were you guys? Were you, are you guys? Do you guys miss Matt and Riley? They were a very good team. They were our best competition over the past year. So, I always enjoyed the matchups because I enjoy the challenge. But certainly, the breakup has not been good for either one of them. But specifically for Riley, I mean, he's made 
what, one final on the men's side since he broke up with Matt, and that was with um, J-Dub and Dylan not in the draw and me and Ben not in the draw. So that has not proved to be a good decision, at least so far. And uh, we want to play the best of the best. So we think both of those players are good players, and I'm sure they're going to find other good partners to compete with. And I was really actually interested to see how James and Matt were going to play together because I think that's a lot of artillery. Um, they have a lot of firepower, and it was going to be fun to play them in Vegas. And unfortunately, James rolled his ankle, and we were not able to to play that team. But I'm sure that team is going to be dangerous in the future. Mm-hmm. Do you think they have a better? Not, and I'm not saying that they're going to like beat you, but do they have a better makeup as a team of skills that would test you than a Matt and Riley? It would be hard to say without playing them first. So. Fair. The the transition game is going to be a little bit more shaky with the James and Matt scenario, and the defense is going to be a little bit less. But the power at the line is going to be significantly increased. So it's a matter of relative to how often they get in, how much damage can they do at the line. So if they get hot and it's the right conditions, they could present a real issue because they like to speed up a lot of balls, they have heavy hands, and... If they get hot, you never know. So you you got to pay attention all the time. Make sure your counter punches are up to par. James has a big drive, um, which would be an advantage for them. But I think if we played yeah, it, you got to watch out for Matt crashing after that. Yeah, where Matt, he might not be as fast as he once was, but he anticipates well. He, he anticipates I've never well. seen a forty-seven-year-old dude like or whatever the hell he yeah, is. I mean, hit, Ernie like Matt, he can actually like step around and hit Ernie's. Yeah, is, and he bakes with the backhand pretty well. I mean, I hope I can bake that well at 47 when off the backhand. But yeah, James would get a lot of the returns. And I don't think it, I've ever seen you shake one of Ben's bakes. Bake, I, I did bake. one time. I remember. We're gonna need that clip too. Yes, I will find it for you. <laughs> it happened one time in history, so that's not really one of our MOs. Ben usually shakes and bakes. Yeah, he does it all. He does it all. Pretty Fair. much, the whole game plan is Ben for Ben to do everything. <laughs> I mean, you probably what you probably hit still a majority of the shots i feel like that's changed in recent years i feel like if you charted how many people i mean how many balls i got over the course of the match versus how many he got i feel like he hits more balls now whereas when i first started playing the plan was to hit every ball to colin and then i feel like back in maybe 2020 or 2021 i think 2021 people figured out that maybe that's not the best game plan because if you hit everything to Colin, he knows it's coming and Ben's essentially just going to end up on his side and you're playing two versus one Mm -hmm. versus if you keep Ben on his side, maybe we have a better chance. And it was Pat and Jay that originally first started using that strategy and it was also dependent on the skill set that they had uh, where Pat is a really good counter puncher and he was able to slow Ben down enough to where they felt comfortable dinking to Ben. Um, but I bet that in many of our matches now, he would hit slightly more balls than I did. Interesting. Okay. Also because he's playing more of the court. Obviously, sure. anything in the middle is going to be his forehand. I'm going to let that through. He's going to be hitting those. And then also the third shots. Most of the time, people return to Ben. And I would attribute that to keeping him back an extra shot because you don't really want him breathing down your neck when I'm hitting a drop. And I have one of the steadier drops, I like to think, and he poaches really well off of those. You don't really want that coming at you. And it's not that Ben's third is bad by any stretch. He can drive, he can drop, but they feel like they have a better chance if they return to him and keep him back a little longer, whereas I'm not really a threat to poach. And 
Except for that one time. Except for that one time. So (laughs) percentage-wise, pretty unlikely. But uh, that also would up the amount of shots that he gets, where they're going to target him with the the third shots, with the returns, and also in transition, because transition is obviously one of my better things. You know that meme where it says, where somebody's golden retriever is like staring at them, and it says the odds of getting killed by a golden retriever are next to zero. But not none. Uh, yeah. But not none. <laughs> the odds of getting poached by Colin Johns. Yes. I feel like we can make a meme out of that. <laughs> Agreed. Love it. So uh, last last question on your game style with Ben. If you had to, like, again, percentage, generalization, this is not, this is not the case in every single match, but what percent of the court would you say is your responsibility versus Ben's and obviously that depends on where the ball is it depends on a lot of things but generally if we looked at a flow chart of where the ball is being struck throughout <clears throat> a point and and it's charted what percent of the court do you think Ben plays versus you play and can you apply that to amateur play because the last time we had this conversation you were saying that pickleball should not be played 50 50 yeah Definitely not. And like you said, it's it's very dependent on who you're playing, where the ball is, a lot of factors, the incoming angle of the ball. But if I had to put a number on it, I would say 70-30. So I'd probably take 30%. He takes 70%. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. But if I had to ballpark it, it would be something like that. And for the amateurs, it really depends on your skill set. Not everyone moves around the court like Ben does. And if you're exposing yourself too much by playing 80% of the court – you may want to dial that back a little bit, but definitely the game is not meant to be played 50-50. And the closest you could have to that is if you had a left-handed Ben playing for me, where then they could, any middle ball, the left-handed Ben could take it or the right-handed Ben, depending on what you want to do with the play. But that would be the most pure sort of example you could have. Um, That's not really going to happen in reality. Um, At least it hasn't happened yet. So you definitely don't want to approach it 50 50 but you don't want to overplay your hand to where you're playing a little bit too much of the court and you see some of these guys in mixed tend to fall into that trap where they're really aggressive and they win a lot of points by being aggressive but they overstretch themselves against certain teams and they get exposed on the backside. so it's give and take it's like all right you give something up um but you're going to win more points this way so you really have to find the right game style for you and for your team so how we came to our game style and why I feel like it works so well is we recognized from the very beginning that Ben was always going to play left. He wanted a right side player with a certain skill set that would complement him best. And it also stemmed from the fact that when I first started playing, Ben was already the best player. So he was significantly better than me. So he was always going to take more shots from the start. And we sort of worked it out as we went along this works really well and here's how far Ben can can go. Um, but then as I got better, in certain scenarios, it made more sense for me to play more shots um, just based on the position. So I feel like we've worked out a game style that at this point is pretty seamless that allows the best player in the world, which is Ben, to touch the ball a lot and put a lot of pressure. And people have not been able to crack the code to exposing Ben's backside very often and then it just allows me to do what I do best. And I've built my skill set to be as good as possible with the percentage that I play. So from my 30%, I feel like I hold down the right side as well as anybody. And that's the goal. So it's how strong is the team unit as a whole. It's not about Ben is this much better of a player, Colin is this much better of a player. 
it's that the team is very hard to beat the way that they play. And I feel like when we're playing our best, we don't lose to anybody. And until somebody's able to figure out a strategy that will consistently beat us, um, we're going to keep playing exactly the same way. Fair. Good answer. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, honestly, you, you catch some crap sometimes, right? On uh, Collins only playing whatever percentage of the court, but like, that's by design. It's by design, exactly. I mean, in, so, in basketball, like you could you could say that look, somebody's shooting most of the the team's shots. I'm like, okay, well, how good are they? Are they making them? Like, is the team winning? Like, it's pretty honestly irrelevant when you look at the at the um, wins and losses. Like, you just want to do what's going to be best for your team, which yeah. I think is it's still not an easy role. It's not, and it's it's underestimated at times. And you play the right side a fair amount, and people will often ask me, what does it take to be a good right side player? And the first thing I say is the mentality. You can't be in the mentality of having an ego and trying to win the point for your team. Your job is to make your partner look good. And they're going to get the winners most of the time. And you're not going to get the credit for the winners most of the time. But if you do a really good job of passing the ball to your partner, like in basketball or, or other sports, you have enormous value and your partners are going to love playing with you and they're going to play better. So your job as the right side player is to make your partner look as good as possible. It's not to win the match for your team, except in very specific circumstances. Clip that. That's going to do well. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, uh, so Connor Pardo told me that uh, FanDuel lost a bunch of money because in the first few weekends because everybody was just betting the house on you and Ben. <laughs> it's got to be a nice vote of confidence for you oh were they uh, I, I have no idea i haven't checked into the the betting part i don't think we're supposed to yeah yeah I right think that's uh that's another good, in our gambling another training. good political answer you yeah all of fan duels well right <laughs> it's familiar to me because when i played pro tennis we had to go through this integrity course where it's like you can't talk to this person you can't go on these did you guys places. have that for pickleball uh for tennis we did um, but, for, for but for pickleball, there's a course that we're supposed to take. I still think that we have to complete it. But definitely, because pickleball is so new, there are some players that would have no idea what all would be okay and not okay. Yeah. And right, once right. it gets a little bit more mainstream with the betting, you really got to be careful on what you do. So because of the background I have, I kind of know already not to do certain things. But you'll definitely have some issues in the next I don't know, year or two with certain players um, if they don't control it. Yeah, Pardo told me that they're they're pretty much just like at this point, yeah, we're just not going to offer odds on anything that Ben plays in. That would, yeah, that would be a pretty safe bet. I would say the Anna Lee bet in women's doubles is even safer. So yeah. <laughs> bet on Anna Lee to win women's doubles and you're going to win pretty much every time. So FanDuel uh, might not be uh, putting odds on that. What else you got, Zane? Um, let's see. The only other yeah. thing I wanted to ask you about. So, like, you were, you play a yeah, little okay, bit. Of never pro. mind. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. You gotta be ready. Just keep the you keep gotta the have it. up. <laughs> you obviously played pro tennis. I assume you follow pro tennis, and you are an avid consumer of that. Like, obviously, there's the rumblings that the the Brian Bros are going to come into pickleball. I don't know if that's happening. I don't. I don't know what the developments are there, but obvious parallels between john's john's bros and pickleball brian bros and tennis what do you see as like if you were to forecast their success and um i mean what's just like your your general take on that overall 
Yeah, actually, MLP, I was at an event where I met their agent, and he told me a little bit about their interest level and how they arrived at potentially pursuing pickleball. And apparently they had played with Jack Sock and somebody else, and they'd actually enjoyed it a lot more than they had first thought they would. And they're like, well, what what can we do to get more involved? And I don't know how far they're they're going to jump in, but it would be really cool to have them, the name recognition, and obviously two great racket skills players. Um, they're going to be good, and they mesh really well together as a doubles team. Um, I don't know exactly how old they are. I think they're 47, so the perfect Matt Wright age. Um, but clearly that's something where I think it's like, yeah, I think it's like 45, 45, 47. I don't know exactly, but, um, it's something where someone like Jack Sock is going to have a leg up on them because they're starting to age more and he's a better athlete than they are. Yeah. Um, So they're definitely going to be good. How good it really depends again on how well you adapt to certain things, what sort of training you get, how much you play the tournaments, because you can train all day long yourself with great training but until you start to go to the tournaments and see all the top players and all the funky shots that exist and and get a little bit of tournament experience um you're not going to do as well as you would like and you can certainly transfer a lot of the same things that you use in tennis um to pickleball but it's a little bit different in certain elements and getting that competition experience is definitely valuable um, so I'd love to see them jump in. I'd love to to have them do an event. I think it's great for the game. Talk some shit. Talk some shit. You gotta light a fire. <laughs> oh, that's twenty bucks, by the way. The, well, let's wear a jar, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one. You gotta show me the fine print before you do that to me. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no f bombs were dropped. So I think that making out mm. with twenty buck fine is I good. Yeah, fair. I dropped one. Yeah, but sh- to be fair, you're being an ass. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't give you a percentage. <laughs> Gosh darn it. <laughs> I avoided the fine there. <laughs> All right. So you want me to talk some trash to the Brian brothers. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do that. <laughs> but they would beat us worse in tennis than we would beat them in pickle. But I think that they would be surprised at how difficult it would be to play against us on the pickleball court. Mm-hmm. Cool. Clip it. Send it to the agent. Light a fire. I think, yeah, that, that would really get them going. <laughs> such a soft chirp um, um all right zane now now the floor is yours you had yeah really in question no well you have katie perry written on the uh on the little thing over here i saw she's doing she's giving away a pickler franchise yeah yeah okay so what it's katie perry her firework foundation it's the pickler and us so it's like a, a two-part giveaway so even if you just enter the giveaway you get a $20 gift card to the pickler shop. So gear, paddles, apparel, whatever. Um, there's like over 50 winners. So pretty much everybody wins because if you just enter the giveaway, you get the $20 gift card. But you can also win, I think 10 people win like a paddle of their choice. Uh, a bunch of people will win. I can't remember the exact numbers. A bunch of people will uh, win lifetime supply of pickleball gear. Uh, a bunch of people win lifetime supply of pickleball apparel. Uh, last second we threw in, uh, somebody's going to win, uh, the ability to be a special guest on this podcast, which Ooh. I don't think you oh, know sick. about. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I love to find that out. Um, but then it's all wrapped into Charles like Charles Manson signing up right now. Oh boy. It's all wrapped into this like bigger I, I can think of worse people to be honest. <laughs> I probably could as well. I got to finish my giveaway pitch here. Okay. It's all wrapped no, into this bigger giveaway. Okay. Where, uh, so basically everybody votes on a city. And any city is eligible. 
and the city that gets the most votes, the pickler is going to build a franchise in that city. And so essentially the idea is we're giving away a pickleball facility to one lucky town or, or city, whichever one that may be. So, Well, that's a real opportunity there. Yeah. Thanks for uh, <laughs> agreed. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to pitch that one. Yeah, that. no you know, problem. I you guess need I... to work on your ball passing skills. I feel like there are two left side players that are not passing. Uh, interesting. Right Honestly, player. we'd be so much better if I was on the left and he was just in like permanent Ernie position over there. <laughs> <laughs> We're not in a pickleball court, Zane. You sure you don't want to start a podcast? That was a good, good little, uh, good little analysis there. <laughs> no plans to. Jo- no John's Bros uh, podcast coming. Not in the near future. Don't expect to see that soon. You guys can talk about like paddle engineering and yeah, and but the thing is, we can come on your podcast and say everything we need to say. And yeah, but well, this is like the last time you, you're invited. Yeah, to like this. Be- okay. And I had to beg you for weeks. <laughs> and then I thought, and then right before the pod, like an hour before, he's like, "Ah, oh, my car broke down." I'm like, "Here we go." Like <laughs> that is that is a fact. My car is in the shop right now. Yeah, but hopefully it'll be fixed by the time we finish. But you made it. So we actually uh, we did just get a text from MLP and said that uh circling back to what we said steve coon has resigned from his leadership positions with mlp we thank him for his numerous contributions as founder of mlp and bringing professional pickleball to the forefront of sports mlp will continue to fuel the growth of our league and teams with i can't read hold on pause sounds like a very political sort of it does uh, with the ideal combination of players, owners, and partners. We wanted to share that official league statement with you, which will be posted to MLP's website momentarily. Additionally, please note that Duper has been spun off and is no longer a subsidiary of MLP. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like Steve is, you know, totally, totally out. And I think there's, you know, there's there's a lot of, I think a lot of players that, I think every single player owes a lot to, to Steve, right? And... You know, I, I would, I think it's safe to say that while it may not have garnered the support of board and MLP owners, I think that he's the reason that every player, AP or PPA or MLP, is getting a, uh, a substantial pay increase. So, yeah, I would second that. He's contributed mightily to the sport of pickleball, and it wouldn't be where it is today without him. So, definitely want to uh, tip our hat to, to Steve on that and thank him for his, his contributions. And obviously, uh, sounds like he's parting ways with MLP. So I'm sure he'll be around and thank you for your contributions. Yeah, I mean, I, I would hope that I would hope that as things settle down, and if we get into a better spot, a little bit down the road, I'd hope that, you know, both sides could come together and you know still have steve around it wouldn't be mlp without steve around yeah i hope he he comes to the events at least that would yeah one way or another or shame if not you know maybe an expansion team feels like a reasonable reasonable (laughs) thing for for the return that he's made to his uh to his investors i mean you know say what you want about about blowing out the spending this this go around he 100x'd his investors return in like two years so anyway Thank you to Steve. We hope to uh, hope to see you around at MLP events. And uh, what's the saying? Hope this is a this isn't a goodbye. It's a see you later. <laughs> <laughs> Paraphrasing it, <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah, something along those. Lines. Yeah, yeah. Maybe once the dust settles, we can get him on the get him on the pod to unwrap everything that that happened. It'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, well, last right. but not least, 
Colin, what? <laughs> why do you hate the net cord so much? And, and better <laughs> I, I question, thought this might come up. Why does the net cord hate you? That's a better question, honestly. <laughs> One that I'm still searching for the answer for. But yeah, the, the net cord definitely has been known to irritate me, <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> I guess that it really stems from that you're hitting what I consider to be a lot of times a low percentage shot that works out in your favor, and there's absolutely nothing that I can do about it. Um, and it's not always the case. Sometimes it's a good attack, and you hit a good shot. But other times, if you're pulling the trigger on I don't know, a ball from your shoelaces at midcourt and it catches the tape and I can't recover in time because it catches the tape, that irritates me, both for the reason that I can't do anything about it and that you're getting away with something that I consider to be not a smart thing to do. Um, so I think that those would be the two biggest reasons why sometimes I have to throw my hat and throw <laughs> up my hands and drop my pile and make a scene because I love <laughs> I love that you gave like a decently serious answer there like actually hates the net cord I, I do hate it it's yeah. easily my biggest pet peeve in pickleball do you do when like memes of pickleball or these other accounts just like it's just like a highlight reel of you just rolling your eyes and throwing up your hands like what do you yeah pretty much yeah, yeah I think there's some pretty that. good memes out there yeah. I mean everyone has something so that's mine yeah. so are you team say sorry for net cords or are you team no sorry for net cords I think the etiquette still remains that yeah, if you hit the net, you can put up your hand. and No, Colin wants people to beg for forgiveness. No, no, not at all. <laughs> you can put up your hand. That's the etiquette. You're not sorry. I know you're not sorry, but, you know, it's it's a nice thing to do. So I'll, I'll continue to do it. If you choose not to do it, so be it. I'm sure that Zane will fist pump and say, that's where we eat when he hits me off the net. That's where we eat? I've never said that before in my <laughs> life. No, well, now you can. Well, actually, what I've started doing is, that's a good one, but what yeah. I've started doing is instead of apologizing, yeah. I just I just have been, in practice, I've been doubling down. I will hit the net for a winner and then flip them off. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get so, an even more severe response from me, so I can't wait for you to hit me off the net in the tournament. It might come to blows metaphorically. Yeah, not physically. I don't not think either of us are interested in getting into a fist <laughs> no, fight. I'm There's not, no winners so, there. Yeah. But yeah, so you can you can look for you guys will know that this is all in jokes if you listen to the podcast. But next time I hit a net cord winner on Colin in a tournament, I will flip him off. You heard it here first. I will right, I will get, think about what my response will be, but it will be something oh man, worth now he has having time. a video camera around for. Okay. Now he has time to I formulate hope a response. So we can next tournament. PPA draw Zane Colin first round. You know what? I am gonna have to say not on you know what? It's gotta be on championship court. I don't wanna get fined, but also I don't know whether how how big those fines are. So I guess we'll find out for science. We can ask DJ. We can't ask DJ. He said no, he couldn't talk about it. Oh. And also, he's never flipped anybody off. He almost murdered somebody with a paddle, but he's <laughs> never flipped somebody off. We could ask Pablo. We could ask Pablo. Or Tyson. Either one would work. But back in the day, I don't think there were fines, so Tyson wouldn't have gotten fined. Fair. I think right. he, he got a text from Connor Pardo. Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop. Cease and desist. Cease, Cease and desist, desist flipping off your opponents. Yeah. And Matt, Matt writes, like, as a lawyer, I don't think you need to do that. I don't mind it. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Texas Open, lest we forget. 2021. What a wild time. What a wild time to be alive. On that one court that was red, white, and blue Texas flag. Oh, you could not see anything under like the overhang and rock wall that was one of the worst courts ever created. Wait, what happened? 
Well, it was the final gold medal match. Ben was playing with Matt and Tyson was playing with Riley and they were getting into it. It was a pretty hotly contested match and Tyson, I forget why he flipped Matt off, but he flipped Matt off on the live stream. And yeah, it, it definitely went around. It, it can be it can be found. One. It can be found. Yeah. Texas Open, I think it was 2021. Oh, did Matt deserve it? He may have deserved it. I don't know. But Is when it? you're doing it on a live stream where it can be recorded, probably not the best thing to do. There's something weird about in pickleball where that seems to be. I mean, we just named four. It's like the go-to gesture. Imagine in basketball, <laughs> LeBron was just like, <laughs> no. be like, what was that? Yeah. Like, yeah it's so awkward. This, yeah. this is true. I can't think of any other time in sports when people have flipped each other. Right. Up. It's such an odd thing. Yeah. I guess, I guess the proximity of pickleball makes it kind of unique, but then there's a net in the way. It's almost like there's an obstacle, so you're not going to go and like get in their face. Right. Right. But you're going to have some banter, and you may or may not flip them off. This is true, because you are kind of like, you know, in any other sport, which are contact sports, you can just like give them an elbow or something. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So if you're in an MMA <laughs> ring, yeah, you might get more than an elbow, but I feel like that, that little almost uh the barrier the barrier yeah it might play a factor okay there we go that's why pickleball players flip people off yeah some tennis player at some point had to have flipped somebody off tennis players do wild stuff oh remember when marat safin he got a bad line call or he thought it was a bad line call and then he went to the ref and he raised his middle finger he's like it was out by this much <laughs> that was one of the perfect best. example perfect example so he didn't even get a technical warning for that. He didn't get a warning at all because the ref was just laughing. <laughs> and it was Saffin. So it's like, yeah. So charismatic. He just, he just flipped me off, but he did in such a hilarious, charismatic way that I'm not going to penalize him. <laughs> <laughs> that all we got? I think so. It's only going downhill from here. We didn't have yeah. any, any stop Alzheimer's now questions. So guys, remember, you can ask whatever question. I will answer literally anything. Uh, if you make a do donation to Stop Alzheimer's Now, stopalzheimersnow.com. And I might sign up for that at the end of this. Yeah, seriously, yeah, I will answer absolutely anything. You can, <laughs> you can throw in anonymous questions. Like, it doesn't have to have your name to it. I can't speak for Thomas, whether he's going to answer or not, but I'll answer anything. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to consult with Altoff and get a really good question in there. Oh, boy. Yeah, that'll be good. All right. I take that back. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. All right. We had a great episode today. As you could probably see, I'm wearing my, well, maybe not, my Viore pants, uh, as I always am. I wear them everywhere. Zane is wearing his Viore shirt. So you can go to viore.com slash the dink, and uh, you will get, I think it's 20% off purchases over $75. And uh, yeah, I mean, Viore is like the best brand for on-court, off-court, lounging, showing up to a party, you name it. And uh, we wear it constantly, and we'd wear it even if they weren't a partner of ours. Fiori.com slash the dink. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, Dyler has gone on Yagi.